0: Coming up on Ibogaine Uncovered.
1: There is the American context, which is we have an epidemic of opiate addiction and this is going on and we need the medicine now and we need help with that. And then on the other side, it's kind of like the Gabonese traditional people who have been working with this medicine for thousands of years and then finding that they can't find much of their own medicine around because a lot of, that, the, of the medicine that is, that is in the wild areas, which is where they used to find their medicine, has gone. It's been poached, it's been taken to the West, and it's been used I- externally. And now the main places in Gabon where there is a lot of reasonable amounts of iboga is in private organised arenas, not in the wild forests anymore. So, this is a difficulty.
0: My name is Amanda Siebert, and you're listening to Ibogaine Uncovered, a podcast that explores the impact of one of the most powerful psychedelic medicines on the planet. Can Ibogaine really get to the root of our trauma? Join me as I ask practitioners, patients, researchers, and specialists about their experiences. This is Ibogaine Uncovered. I'm your host, Amanda Siebert, and in this episode, I speak with David Nassim. David is the co-director of Blessings of the Forest, an organization committed to the preservation and sustainable development of Gabon's natural and cultural heritage, including the preservation of aboga, the West African plant from which Ibogaine is derived. You might remember David from our interview at Psychedelic Science 23 featured in episode 16. In this episode, I dig a little deeper into the work of Blessings of the Forest. David explains the importance of the Nagoya Protocol, what it is, and how it informs the protection of the aboga plant and the communities that use it. We talk about the unseen challenges of working closely with a large number of different organizations, associations, and communities. And we discuss how aboga is viewed globally, including the different interpretations and understandings of this medicine In the United States, and in Gabon. Near the end of our discussion, we talk about the implications of Western interest in Ibogaine, namely the Kentucky Opioid Abatement Advisory Program. In North America, Ibogaine is a compound that most people associate with opioid use disorder, but in West Africa, specifically in Gabon, Ibogaine is just one part of a much greater whole. In this episode, David Nassim explains in great detail the implications of increased global interest in the Aboga plant for the Buidi communities that depend on it. By leaning on the Nagoya Protocol on access and benefit sharing, Blessings of the Forest is working to protect and preserve Aboga while building meaningful relationships directly with communities that require support. David's insights and understanding bring the issue of reciprocity into sharp focus and challenge us to consider the global implications. Of pursuing a treatment like ibogaine. David, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to have you here. Where are you joining me from this morning?
1: I'm from, I'm just outside London, so from the UK, and uh, yeah, very lovely mm. to speak to you again. We spoke at the psychedelic science conference, so yes, good to get to speak speak to you again. Mm.
0: Yeah. It was so nice to chat then, and I really appreciate that clip that you gave me for the solo cast. I think the information that you provided was brief but potent, and I think that's sort of what this podcast medium is kind of all about. So, yeah. So let's get into it. For listeners that might not be aware, ibogaine, the medicine that this podcast is centered on, comes from the root of a shrub known as the Tabernanthe iboga plant which is native to Gabon in West Africa. Now, as Ibogaine grows in popularity in the West as a treatment for opioid use disorder, it's posing a threat to populations of the aboga plant. Like other psychedelic plant medicines such as peyote, it is endangered due to poaching and overharvesting. Now, this is where the work of Blessings of the Forest comes in. So, David, what does Blessings of the Forest do And what is its role in the iboga supply chain?
1: Yeah, so as a general picture, what we do in Gabon is that we support Gabonese villages to become financially and nutritionally self-sustaining so that they may be able to support themselves and continue their traditions, protecting traditional knowledge. And the associated plant medicines of the, the forest of Gabon. So, <clears throat> we're focused in really creating self sustaining villages where m- medicine is grown, such as Iboga, including Iboga, but not only Iboga. We cover a lot of different areas. And our main focus is really, you know, in trying to protect that bioculture. We're not looking just to focus on Iboga, but of course it becomes under that the remit of what we do because Iboga is a very, very important part of that culture that we're protecting.
0: Thank you. So looking at Blessings of the Forest and sort of some of the things that inform this organisation – Something that jumped out at me right away, and I think it would jump out at anyone sort of diving in, is the Nagoya Protocol. So the Nagoya Protocol on Access and Benefit Sharing, which is an international agreement that aims at sharing the benefits arising from the utilization of genetic resources in a fair an equitable way. So can you explain the role of that protocol in the work at Blessings of the Forest? How does it inform what you do and how does it protect not only the iboga plant, but the communities that work with it and also the other crucial, critical plants that you, you yes. mentioned?
1: So honing in on on the bogus supply chain, which was the second part of your first question, I failed to uh, answer, mm. but it's, yes, there's three parts to it, which basically we try to create a Nagoya chain, we could call it a Nagoya associated chain. Nagoya Protocol kind of gives us the legal structure or the kind of the legal tools to make sure that that chain is covered by by documents, by legally written documents that basically say that everybody within that chain is in agreement that that's what they're going to do. But basically the chain comprises of three parts. One is the traditional Gabonese villagers. The second part is the uh, Gabonese governmental authorities. And the third part is the end users of that medicine in the countries who who can legally be able to accept the medicine. So for example... Canada has been able to do that. Mexico, so there's certain countries which are legally able to accept the medicine. And then, you know, what we're trying to do is to create that chain. So we, we've got that link all the way from the origin, the place where the medicine is grown, and the people that are stewarding that that medicine and that understanding all the way through to to the end end user and and the people that are creating with us we work with jonathan dickinson of ambio life and Teragnosis, and he basically is forming total alkaloid which is a total extraction of all of the alkaloids involved in in iboga and he's doing that he's the first pioneer of that chain so he's sort of working in the West on that. And then we're making sure that is connected to the Gabonese government and to the traditional people. And we, what Blessings of the Forest does is to create that supply chain. We speak to everybody involved. We make sure everybody is happy. And we are sort of batting for the traditional Gabonese uh, villagers. That's who we really are focused on and looking at their context as the sort of primary context. Which is what the Nagoya Protocol is all about. It's benefits sharing. It's making a connection to that genetic resource, which in this case is a boga, connecting that to Gabon, and then that being the sort of source, and then you know from that there can be a movement towards obtaining that source from other places, and they have to go through those legal procedures in order to actually be able to do that. And what that really is, is about commitment. It's more than the kind of legal construction, which is a very, very difficult thing over international borders to actually kind of properly instate and kind of, you know, if we were to, to sue people over international borders is very difficult so the reality is that what it's about is actually kind of people making a commitment to fair trade, people making a commitment to actually honouring the Gabonese uh, traditional villages and to honouring their traditional knowledge, make sure that their tr- traditional knowledge isn't appropriated and to be able to give financial benefits to those community groups to support their infrastructure and uh, allow them to to be able to gain from what is an enormous industry about to burst in in the U.S.
0: Okay. So when you talk about people who have made this commitment, I mean, you mentioned Canada, you mentioned Mexico. Has the United States signed the Nagoya No,
1: not yet. No, the U.S. hasn't signed. But the commitment is made per country, per countries that are interested in really mm-hmm. making that commitment, really, to, to being able to look at biodiversity and interest in protecting Indigenous people, that's really something that has to be kind of done at the, at the sort of federal level. But ultimately, what we're seeing is that it, it, it comes down to the company uh, that we're working with, and where they are. The company, for example, if we talk about the company that we're working with, Teragnosis and Jonathan Dickinson, they are in Canada, and so they can receive medicine in Canada because of the legal status of Iboga within Canada. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the country where the medicine is going to needs to have signed the Nagoya Protocol, but it does mean that it needs to be legal in that country. It's kind of about the legality of it in the country. It, to, to sign the Nagoya Protocol means that you are committed to being involved in transactions which are Nagoya-associated, as- that you want to create situations where that, that happens. So, for example, if in the United States and Mexico, it could be a, like that for Piote. They could sign the Nagoya Protocol in the US associated with Piote. Being connected to, as a, an endemic plant to particular parts of the United States, and that's a way that it could be done.
0: Interesting. Wow! Thank you for the details on that. That must be so challenging to manage. I mean, you know, taking into account the different jurisdictions you mentioned. You know, you, suing someone across borders. All of these different things to to weigh. That yeah, logistically, I imagine that must be a lot.
1: I mean, the. The, the agreements the legal agreements they are done via the gabonese authorities the gabonese government authorities so it's really a company needs to make that contact with the gabonese authorities saying look we want to obtain a boga and we want to do it in the right way mm. so all of that kind of stuff is actually relatively simple and it's about contracts but okay. if we were going to legally prosecute somebody who was breaking Nagoya protocol or doing something that is difficult and that is a hard thing to do? I'm sure it's possible, but it is very difficult to do. And so, what really it's about when we're talking about Nagoya is about commitments. It's about commitment to the to the process to actually making that connection to Gabon. Otherwise, you wouldn't really bother oh. doing it.
0: Okay. Makes sense. So when you say people have to connect with the Gabonese government, now this is because Iboga is protected in Gabon. Yes, it is. Correct? It's a culturally... Yes. Okay. I, I was really interesting when I learned that. I, I found that to be yeah. something that other governments could perhaps
1: yep, learn yep, from. That you uh, can, you, I mean, this is what the Nagoya Protocol does, is it ties that the government says, look, we want to tie that medicine to our traditional uh, heritage, So using Nagoya, Mm -hmm. you can sign that agreement and actually join that heritage and the plant or or the genetic material that you're talking about to that heritage. And so it becomes a commitment that you're making. And yeah, it's a powerful statement and it shows the reverence that is a general principle that Iboga has in Gabon.
0: So David, how does the protection of the Iboga plant and of the people who are working with it translate to the improved quality of life for Gabonese people?
1: So really, it's about creating self-sustainable communities and financial sovereignty uh, for those people that's the focus because growing a boga is a way of being able to not engage with other potential ways of making money which can be problematic so for example a way of being able to create a, a financial gain can be poaching elephant poaching other sort of activities which when there is a desperate situation and there is a poverty situation though that's what people have needed to do in the past. So this gives an alternative to to that. And it means that there is a way that they can create financial gain without actually having to go to lengths like that. So it's a way of being able to do that. And that in the long term can create infrastructure for the village. It, As I said, it sort of moves people out of poverty situations, allows them access to sometimes needed Western medical care, to housing, education and possibilities, clean water and sanitation. And most importantly for us is the ability to fully exonerate their own medical and traditional heritage. Okay, so it's about, it's actually, Hi. if they've got financial structures there and they have some uh, ability to kind of m- manage their own resources, then they can actually continue uh, those traditional practices with much more ease. So it, mm. it allows for a lot of things to, to happen. And also, of course, when one is working with iboga, because they, those iboga trees don't grow in sort of flat cuts forest, they grow under the canopy. That's where the iboga grows best is under the canopy. So it means that the forests where iboga is growing are protected forests because we need the canopy, we need the area exactly as it is with all of the different trees, all of the mycelial network intact, in order to actually grow the medicine, which essentially is a wild plant. So the nature of how Ibogaine and the alkaloids come into that plant is a sort of mysterious process. We don't really know, and there hasn't been enough Sort of scientific research to understand why ibogaine is produced in certain areas and not in others, because it will vary in Gabon a lot.
0: So, yeah. in one part of the country, you might find plants that are higher, yeah, in content than that's, wow, that's right. That's so,
1: it's very, it's a very, it's sort of quite mysterious how that happens, and we start to get clues about how that goes on, but. It, essentially, we know that it's to do with the particular soil, the particular animals, the particular plants, the particular everything that means that uh, this plant is endemic to this area. And this is why, when we're talking about sort of uh, the idea of kind of removing Iboga from Gabon and growing it in a different country, Iboga mutates. So it, it mutates within the same country, like I was saying. So sometimes you can have a full plants. It grows with fruit, everything, it's growing. You go down to the roots and you see what's going on in the roots and try to take some of the medicine from there. And the medicine doesn't have very much potency at all. And then you can go to another area and it does. And so, this idea where there's this movement of taking that plant out of the country, out of its sort of endemic area and where it really grows the strongest and putting it into. You know, there's lots of situations in the world where people have started to grow iboga, but what we're unsure of as, at this time is to whether, in fact, the plant will just completely mutate and will not produce any ibogaine in the in the rootstock at all. So it could that could happen, or it would be a very mild effect. So we know that the forest, the animals in the forest, everything that is the nature of Gabon and the forest situation is something that that is needed to create that those alkaloids in the rootstock so it's what ties iboga to gabon why it's so specific to that area
0: that's very interesting and i did not know that before thank you so much for sharing that
1: yeah sure um, yeah
0: so i would love to share with our listeners they have a little bit of an idea of exactly what it is Blessings of the Forest has done so far. So you've supported 13 Gabonese associations. You've trained 229 Gabonese villagers. You've planted and preserved more than 28,000 eboga trees. You've created 32 income generating activities and provided support for more than 100 school children. And within all of this, 1,500 Gabonese people are being supported. So I imagine that with so many parties involved, it can be tough to implement some of these strategies. What I really like about Blessings of the Forest is it's not the sort of, here, we're giving you money, now do what we say with this money. It's very self-directed, as you said before, supporting communities, building communities, allowing them to be self-reliant. What are some of the unseen yeah. challenges in all of this?
1: Well, I mean, there's, the challenges are constant with the the complexity of what we're doing. When we're trying to work with these three different aspects of, of the Nagoya chain, the, the international, the national authorities and the Gabonese villages, that is a very complex mix of different, totally different people and totally different contexts of understanding and feeling and everything. It is complex, I, I think, in the process of uh, being able to see all sides that's what we try to do we try to be able to see all of the different aspects so that we can bring things together and that is very challenging because there's a lots of different things which you know from literally like the one of the key things the key difficult areas is noticing that there is the american context which is we have an epidemic of opiate addiction and this is going on and we need the medicine now and we need help with that. And then on the other side, it's kind of like the Gabonese traditional people who have been working with this medicine for thousands of years and then finding that they can't find much of their own medicine around because a lot of the medicine that is that is in the wild areas, which is where they used to find their medicine, has gone. It's been poached, it's been taken to the West, and it's been used... Externally. And now m- the, main, the main places in Gabon where there is a lot of reasonable amounts of Iboga is in private organized arenas, not in the wild forests anymore. So this is a difficulty it's being able to kind of say yes we know that you need need the medicine in the western context but also we have to incorporate you know this supply chain we have to incorporate what's been happening for iboga has been drawn out of gabon for over a hundred years it's really been a colonialization of that medicine so we have to incorporate that and give voice to to those people and that's what blessings of the forest is really trying to do trying to give give voice to that. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of criticism that we have from that, the Western picture, demanding the medicine. Also, a lot of people who have these sort of ideas that somehow Blessings of the Forest is sort of controlling Iboga in Gabon and trying to centralize the production of Iboga and all of these conspiracy theory type pictures of what's going on. And in fact, Blessings of the Forest doesn't own any iboga at all. We mm-hmm. don't have anything to do with the ownership. So it's their medicine. The second thing is, is that what those villagers sell, because it isn't us that sell it, it's them, uh, what we do is we help the supply chain, we help them to create the chain so that they can do that. But essentially their process of selling gets them revenue so that they can create their own communities structures and what they need blessings of the forest will get a a piece of the the profit so that we can actually put that back into creating more villages which are doing the same thing but we are a not-for-profit company so we have to actually take the money back in All of what we do is open to the public. You you can see our our records. It has to be. So when we get that sort of criticism and things like that, which can be difficult because we need really what we're looking for is support from the the community to actually kind of, you know, recognize that what we're doing is actually very difficult. And it's actually trying to listen and respond to the Gabonese people who don't have that voice. So that's, that these are sort of tricky areas that we have. And then within Gabon, of course, there is a, a bureaucratic system which we have to follow. It's quite slow. It's quite complex. There are a lot of blocks along the way. So things are not as quick as things happen in, in the West. So it's something that, that's, that can sometimes take time.
0: Mm. I can appreciate that. Thank you so much for the information on Blessings of the Forest. I think it's such a fascinating organization to be dealing with so many different people from around the world who are on the one hand demanding this medicine and on the other hand seeking further protection. So I think there's a lot of different things to consider in the role that you're in.
1: Yeah. I mean, just one other thing to, to say is that Uh, Our primary commitment is to Gabon, Mm -hmm. and it's to upholding the traditional practices there. And so approximately two-thirds of the medicine that uh, is created in Gabon, the the 28,000 trees that we've planted plus, Mm -hmm. that is medicine that is mainly going to be reserved for the traditional use in Gabon and is going to be at a very low price so that traditional people can access that medicine whenever they need. So it's set up like that. Now, it's only the excess, which is the last third, approximately, of what we have, which has the potential to be sold to the Western market. So this is why I say that we are not focused in that Western market. Now there is an understanding of what Ibogaine is, through the work of people that were associated with it d- during the 60s and 70s. That understanding is already in place. And so we are now focused really on uh, the Gabonese uh, context. So we know that in the West, there's, there is already alternatives to using Tabernanthe boga, That being particularly uh, a africana, another plant which has other alkaloids in it, which can be turned into a synthetic form of evergain. And so that is a way of being able to make sure that the plant in Gabon isn't being used up. So it is a way of being able to protect that plant. But also, at the same time as recognising that's the case, And that is going to be used for the majority of the market, and it's going to be the thing most likely that actually supplies that that market, you know, almost entirely, I would say. Even though that's the case, we know that 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 understanding and the understanding of what Ibogaine is and what it was and how it was used, all of that information comes from Gabon. And so That needs to be kind of nodded to. There needs to be some sort of reciprocity that comes through. And so that's why we're suggesting to companies that are working in this arena that they sort of step forward and actually have reciprocity policies associated with the game that they're creating To actually kind of say, look, we know that the idea for using Iboga and the understanding of where Iboga comes from is from this place. And we want to protect that origin. We want to protect those people who stewarded that for so so many thousands of years. We want to kind of nod to that. And that's what we're kind of asking people to do, is to kind of make that reciprocity policy help us to create those self-sustaining communities and to protect those people take them out of poverty situations, etc. Hmm.
0: Wonderful. Wow. I, I also had no idea about the the ability for other plants to produce Ibogaine. There. Yes,
1: it's, <laughs> it's not actually Ibogaine, it, okay. but it is a, a derivative which can then be turned into uh, Ibogaine see, through various processes. Okay. This is this is the work of uh, Deborah Mash, particularly, has mm-hmm. been focused in this arena, yeah.
0: Wonderful, okay. We had her on a couple episodes ago. So, David, you mentioned earlier that you and I met in Denver in June, and when we were there, we had the opportunity to have a conversation uh, in a vehicle with your colleague, George Casita, and this was one of my fondest memories, I think, of the entire conference, because it was a personal conversation, but I got to learn a little bit more about both your and George's connection to mm-hmm. different buidia rites and rituals. And I would love to revisit some of that if we could. I think um, some listeners might be curious to know how you came to work with boga. So where did you find yourself in life when you first heard the call to work with this plant medicine?
1: Yeah, it was, it was 2014. And I just dealt with a number of deaths, which were very difficult to manage quite close together. That of my father and my partner. Oh, so she, yes. yeah, there was. She died of breast cancer, and, and my father of uh, multiple sclerosis, which was a very long term. It's a very long term illness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So those things com- compressed were very very hard, and I was in a very deep depression, and kind of very tied up with my family's problems with caring for my father pretty much from the the beginning of my life. So I was tied up in the knots, if you like, with that. And so I went towards Iboga at that time. And it was the first connection with that plant was the very strongest for for me. It was very powerful. And it usually is that the first time that you take that medicine is usually the strongest. It's quite a thing to to do that first experience with the medicine. It's in the tradition, it's a very particular thing. So it was very, very powerful and it broke my sort of identity associated with being that carer for lots and lots of people all the way through my life. And so I could kind of realize I could look at that kind of addictive pattern that I'd been in. Of being this in this particular role of not know, not really knowing anything outside of that role, and I could see it. I, I was able to see it, and that's really changed a lot uh, of things, and, and continues to do so. I do believe that initiation is just the beginning of something, the initial experience of something, and then the incorporation of. The understanding that happens through uh, Iboga, particularly, uh, um, is something that, that, that occurs over a very, very long period, many years. So it's something that I still am able to recognise as steering things, yeah.
0: Wow. One thing I noticed when I was writing my book on psychedelics psyched, there's a chapter in it on a boga. I noticed that there isn't a lot of publicly available information on the different Bwiti rites, and that's probably for a good reason. (laughs) But if perhaps we could discuss that sort of broadly, which which rites have you gone through?
1: I've been through two initiation processes, initiation ceremonies. The first was with the Fung tradition and Papa Andre Mamalusi, very well-known funk practitioners, and with uh, Tatio in, in Libreville. And so the, these people were the, my beginning to connect to the Buiti culture, which, of course, I, I don't know very much about because I'm just a beginner in that. I mean, I've been connecting to it over over the years, but for... The Gabonese uh, people, it's in their blood, and it's in their blood for many, many years. The Fung are the sort of last group of people to have, have been connected to the traditions which are actually associated with the original people of, the, of that area of the world, which are the Pygmy tribes, particularly the Babongo tribe, And so they are the first people of Iboga, if you like, and they have that sort of ancient, ancient understanding and connection, which goes back enormously long periods of time. We don't know how long the pygmies have been associated with the medicine. But what we know is that that their blood lineage and that of the sun bushman as well are amongst the oldest in the world. So in a way, these are potentially the people that we all are uh, connected to somehow. Potentially, they're they're people that everybody has got a connection to. And yeah, that's quite a profound feeling. Anyway, if we go back to that, the Babongo, the Pygmies there, they're the first rites, the first group that were working with Iboga. And then they passed that on to other groups that then came to Gabon at various intervals. The next group uh, formed, associated with the traditions of, of the, the Pygmies that were passed on to the next group that came to Gabon, formed Disumba, uh, the Disumba branch. This culture which we can broadly call Bwiti, but for example, Disumba and the Pygmies won't necessarily call their practice Bwiti. So it's important to recognize that's a kind of overarching term that kind of allows us to talk about it all. But the first branch, yes, is the pygmy branch, then disumba. Then we have a misoko, which is another, another branch, different quality to it. And the last is Mimbiri, which associates with the fung tradition. I, I initiated with the fung to begin with. And then my second initiation was actually with the babongo. So I was able to meet those people and connect to them in some of the more ancient rites. And so that was very powerful and interesting to understand how different people have learned to work with, the, in, in a way, it's kind of an incorporation of different ethnic groups that have associated themselves with the traditions of the, the, the Pygmies originally. So they use those and mix, that is mixed then with their own ethnicity.
0: I see. Remembering
1: that there's over mm-hmm. over 50 different types of ethnicities in Gabon. Wow. Know. There's many, many.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm giving you these kind of four branches of Buiti, mm-hmm. but actually there's many different nuances. But each group has a very different approach. Yeah, that's what I can say.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your your knowledge on that. My next question, what is at the root of the reverence that Gabonese people have for iboga? Because <laughs> I believe there's something there that, you know, we in the West don't see. We have this picture of iboga, or pardon me, ibogaine as this one-sided medicine.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting question. The first thing to say is that it's not everybody in Gabon. I mean, mm-hmm. There is a kind of legal commitment that the government has made with Nagoya Protocol and their own mandates to say that Iboga is important and it's a strategic reserve. It's something that is is really an important thing, right? So there is reverence for the power of the medicine, let's say. That could be said, but not if you went into the population and you asked, you know, do you know about Iboga? Most people in Gabon would not, and most people in Gabon wouldn't really, really want to be connected to Iboga or have that that feeling that it, it is something useful because there's been a huge Christianization of, of Gabon and lots of other religions that have come into that part of the world. And now Christian religion, Islam, is very large in that part of the world. And they do not have anything to do with Iboga at all. Mm. So there is a percentage, maybe 10%, that is interested in, in, in Iboga and it's part of their traditional practice. And they have a significant reverence, of course, for that medicine and, and understand its potential for healing and understand its power. So there, there are people that have kind of turned away from that Um, understandably, and people that uh, are are still connected to it. But how do Gabonese people feel about Iboga? I can't tell you that. I'm not going to speak for them. But what I can notice about it is that it is something that, for those people that really understand that medicine, it's got a quality which is kind of like about reconnection to home, something which is reconnecting to something that is beyond the verbal communication, something that is beyond something that we can talk about, because it's such a complex medicine. And it's a very interesting point that actually nobody understands how Ibogaine, just that one alkaloid, really works and how it functions in the brain. It's such a complex medicine Associated with the brain function we we just don't know how it works, and it, you know within science is just not known and so then if you take all of the thirteen plus alkaloids that are in a boga that are all working in it sym- synchrony together it's something so complex that it will never really be understood and so it's an interesting thing because we imagine even with Ibogaine, that we, oh yeah, we understand what that is, but actually we don't, and we don't know how it works, and nor do the traditional people, we're all in the same boat, that it is actually a great mystery. Wow. And that that is something very interesting about this subject, is that we are always talking around something, even when we're discussing I- I- Ibogaine associated with opioid addiction and all the rest of it. We don't know how it's going to affect each individual. We cannot describe what each individual is going to experience. So it is actually still mysterious, even though Western science would like to, us to believe something else. It is not known and it is not understood totally. And so the reverence, I think, in the Gabonese traditions comes from that sort of awe quality. Which is beyond us, as as mm. our my colleagues in Beyond would say. <laughs> so it is it is something yeah, it is something that that is very difficult to describe. Which is good, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. We like to assume that we know everything and we have the right labels for everything, right. and it's good to sort of have that reality check. <laughs> so so in the absence of an organization like Blessings of the Forest, yeah. what do you imagine? might happen to the aboga plant how would that sort of affect the Buidi communities that you're working so closely with right now?
1: I mean basically Blessings of the Forest is based on the collective vision of several people over you know decades one in particular who was vitally important in that is Jan Guignon who is the founder of Blessings of the Forest and we work as co-directors together and he was the sort of, so the sort of big whistleblower, if you like, on the national level in Gabon about the situation of Iboga's sustainability, having you know be the baton having been passed to him from Jean Noel Gasita who was his his mentor and somebody who also you know who's a Gabonese professor who who noticed this issue with with Iboga, and so over the last several decades there's been this growing concern which is not just blessings of the forest of other other people that have written papers about that you know long time before blessings of the forest came on the scene to actually say yeah there's an issue with sustainability of this medicine and so we needed to, somebody needed to blow the whistle, and that was Jan. And he did that as much as he could nationally in Gabon and continues to do so. And then he spread that to the Western audience. And so everything that when we talk about sustainability issues, it's because of what his his uh, approach was to actually kind of get everybody aware. And Blessings mm-hmm. of the Forest fundamentally was about that awareness of, of the issues that were, were involved and to make sure that people understood the, the problem. Mm. So that is very important. And that began 2011, 2012. That, that sort of process really properly began. And so since that time, people you know, quite quickly cottoned onto the idea that they've got to grow their own iboga. And so a lot of the people in Gabot, the, the people that had that for, foresight started growing Iboga in Gabon and actually have little plantations of of medicine for their village that, they, that has been going for some years. So that was a very good step. And that was the initial thing. So I think that it immediately had the impact of making sure that the plant wasn't going to be wiped off the face of the planet, that we weren't getting rid of the whole thing. But so there was this understanding that, that growing Iboga was an important thing. Now the poaching and the the Western picture of it, the, the that side of things is a much more difficult approach, like I was saying before, is that when Westerners see that they that there is a medicine, that they can get it and that it comes from Africa, then it's kind of like, oh, well, it should be available to us then. Let's just go there and get some. And as with most of African heritage, it is it is sort of raped and taken for granted. And there is no feedback to the people that uh, the, where that comes from. And that, that's why I was saying that there, there's hundred over 100 years of that uh, being drawn out of Gabon from the French to begin with, the French... Uh, drew that out of that part of the world, including Cameroon uh, and, and Gabon, that part of the world has been drawn that medicine out for a long time. And so I think that those issues with sustainability, we put a cap on that. And that I think that that is very important because without the medicine, there isn't a tradition. The tradition starts to break down, although for sure, Buiti culture is beyond Eboga. Iboga is a tool of Buiti culture, right? But it is still a very important tool and it's still something that kind of holds things together and draws people in. So it's something that is very important. And I think that what you would be looking at is a situation in Gabon, which would perhaps be that much less of that's that that cultural connection would be intact. There would be less people that were sort of aware of the issues all over the world. And so yeah, I think that that, that is certainly a something that's we're glad in Blessing the Forest that we were able to make that step.
0: mm mm-hmm. I wanna sort of touch on something you just mentioned, this idea in the West that we should just be able to go over to Africa and take all yeah. the iboga yeah. for ourselves. and
1: Not just iboga, of course. Of uh, course, you know, yes. Diamonds. Oh, uh, yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: yeah. There's so much history that we could bring up on this. I won't go there, but you know, yeah. when we look at the implications of Western interests, one one very current thing to sort of examine is the state of Kentucky's Opioid Abatement Advisory Commission. Yeah. You know, they're considering sure. distributing $42 million for the research of Ibogaine. Yeah. What sort of effect could something like this have on the communities that Blessings of the Forest is currently supporting?
1: Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think that without there being somebody like brian hubbard at the sort of front of that i think it could just be a western context could just be a but you know brian has you know made that sort of public commitment really in in his in how he talks to to want to be connected to that the source of Mm -hmm. of of the medicine and want to sort of nod to that to, to make a connection to that And so that's where we're talking about these sort of reciprocity policies and trying to kind of suggest people make some sort of contribution to what's going on in Gabon as well, so that there is a recognition of that. So there could be an impact that it makes in Gabon. It it is possible. Certainly what it will do is it will highlight the use of the medicine. It may bring more people to... You, you know, when people connect to Ibogaine, sometimes they want to connect to Iboga. There may be a, a, a connection that they want to see for themselves where that comes from and want to connect to Gabon. So it could be something where there is a, a movement towards uh, ecotourism in Gabon associated with the, this plant, which of course has its ups and downs. It, it's beneficial in some ways because it's a resource but in another way it's feeding a lot of immediate financial pictures into the hands of a very few people can you know destroy cultures you know has done so it needs to be done in the the ways that these things are done has to be careful and that's that we have to be respectful of the culture that is there and to be able to have integration of cultural differences, which is very important. So, yeah, these things are what I would say uh, are important aspects.
0: You mentioned you started working with this plant in 2014. So over the last nine years, yeah. what are some of the biggest lessons that you've um, learned from working with boga and from the people who steward it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, so... It's funny, I don't know whether I would actually call it a lesson. Okay. What, what I would, what, interestingly, uh, what I feel is that um, it's, oh, I, what I've recognized is the, the, with that medicine is that it's only me that adds the story mm. onto my life. My feeling is that the plant is neutral and it's absolute neutrality and that I am the one that adds the story onto it. And so how that has sort of helped is that it's, it's allowed there to be sort of more of a sort of realization, I think, for me, that our modern lives, modern humans, it's, it, that we've always got a story that's leading somewhere. And the medicine actually shows something else, that actually all there is is this moment, and that's a very different picture of living, which is really what I have been in awe of, uh, I guess, in those to, from those uh, traditional people that I've come into contact with uh, the, in in ceremonies and things like that. Is that they there is that acute difference of the modern w- world's modern life and the life that's I think. We really want, there's a very strong desire for us to, to reconnect to, which is this integrative connection to nature, which is always there, but it's sort of been hidden and covered over for thousands and thousands of years because of this, this constant process of the identification of self, of me, of this process of adding more and more to this construction of me and it's something which is a plague if you like on humans and particularly you know the modern human world that that we live in the western world whereas i think that some of those people that i've had have have had some contact with they at least have better ways of being able to manage that 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 egoic state and ways that are, are actually just uh, reveal our utter simplicity, and mm. totally dissolve the complexity of our belief systems and all the rest of it. Mm. I think that that's what I- Iboga has a possibility of offering, mm. if it's listened to, rather than if stories are added onto it.
0: I see. There's a lot
1: of people that like to add things onto psychotropic uh, psych- psychotropic medicine. It, it can be a uh, you know, big roller coaster, if that's where you want it to go, in a way.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're very right when you were describing that desire for reconnection. And also when you said, there is only this moment and i'm adding this story just an immediate sense of like calm washed over me so you're very right that we crave yeah. that this feeling of the plague yeah it all i identify with a lot of what you're saying there yeah yeah so you're you're also a practitioner of chinese medicine i was really i found that yes. really interesting when i learned that would you say that there are some sort of complementary aspects to the the modality of working with chinese medicine and perhaps the the yes. yeah. Tell me a little bit about these two things in your well, life. Well, I mean,
1: Chinese medicine for me is sort of like a reconnection to the ancient understanding of the energetics of life. It's a universal quality, and the the ancient Chinese, I think, had that quite firmly you know really had that strong connection and and managed to kind of keep it somewhat intact to to, to the modern era so that's why I sort of attached to that quite early on in my life and I felt like it was a way to connect to something which I knew was sort of the yeah the something that kind of made sense of things for me yin and yang energetics and being able to see things as sort of uh, a sea of energy made a lot of more sense to me than other ways of, of thinking about things. And what I very often notice is that in those very ancient ways of looking at Iboga, that there are similar things. There are similar things that are expressed in Bwiti culture that is there. And that I can really make sense of how that medicine is used and why it's used. I think that what's very interesting is that when you understand the energetics of of herbal medicine and that what you're always doing is that you're always talking about diagnosis and dosage, Um, you're always looking at that particular individual and what they're bringing and whether they are sort of too hot or too cold, whether they are too dry or too damp in their physiological condition and being able to kind of try to balance that. You know, you're you're trying to often balance out tendencies. And in the process of making the assessment for dosage in Iboga, there is a lot of that kind of processes that are actually there. And the people that are very skilled at making those dosages and being able to understand not only Iboga, but all of the other plants within the forest, which are used as... A whole it's not just iboga we tend to think that it's just iboga but there are 800 different other plants that are part of the the pygmy tribe's pharmacopeia and that they will use those for lots of different issues so if you come and your your preparation for an initiation can be completely different one person to another and it will be based on the particular issues that are there and expressed there and I think that this is a very, very important part of this, which is to actually kind of the de-emphasis on Iboga and more of the emphasis on what one is doing to try to kind of find a balance energetically, which doesn't necessarily have to use Iboga, it can, but there are many different approaches. And of course, uh, in very important medicine, but it, uh, for different people, they need... Uh, some people will need more some people need less some people will need something over a longer period of time other people over a shorter period of time it's something which really needs to be focused on that particular individual and so the ancient approach is much more uh, on on that level
0: wow wow thank you lots of similarities there i'm going to have to go to the library and pick up a book on chinese medicine because ever since our conversation in yeah. june i just feel drawn to Learning a little bit more about that.
1: So thank you for the details
0: there. Yeah. One last question for you. Yeah. So I'm thinking, you know... Over our conversation about how people might be able to support the work of Blessings of the Forest. Now that could be something perhaps more direct, like a donation. It could also be something I think like perhaps they're seeking ibogaine or a boga treatment and asking the right questions of their yeah. practitioners. So I'm wondering if you could sort of suggest how someone might ask that, finding out how yeah. the medicine they're gonna be taking has been obtained.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's a few points there that are important. I think First thing is, yeah, we, I want to talk a little bit about the safe practice of this as well in, in that process, but about the medicine itself, what you're looking for is when you're asking about the medicine that, that uh, pr- practitioners are, are, are offering, are using, it should be that it is sourced from Voacanga Africana, as that means that the medicine is not being, is doesn't come from a poached source, because it's make, most like well, it, it, they're, they're, at, the, at this particular moment, we don't know of any sourcing of Ibogaine, apart from Vohakunga, that doesn't come from a poached source. So if it's not from Vohakunga, it's from poaching. We, uh, that's a kind of simple picture of it, okay. if you like. So it, it needs to come from Vohakunga. There are Two particular clinics, which I can say for sure, we know that are working with that. One of them is Beyond. The other one is um, Ambio Life. So so both of these clinics are are working with uh, Ibogaine that is from Voakanga, or they're working with uh, total alkaloid extract that is coming direct from Blessings of the Forest, Nagoya line. So they will work with one or other or both of those, those things. So those two co- companies, I can say for sure, are doing that. Whereas a lot of other places, I don't know. that they mm-hmm. People would need to check, where's your medicine coming from? If it's coming from uh, Vua Cunga, so it's okay. It's, that, that's okay. Ideally... You could press those practitioners and companies to actually ask them, do you have a reciprocity policy associated Mm -hmm. with your work to connect to the Gabonese traditions and to offer something back to them when I go and have my treatment? And if you don't, then maybe you should consider doing that and consider Blessings of the Forest as a group that is working for that, for exactly that. So Mm. that's something that that could really help us is to actually kind of get that word out. And as an individual actually kind of in a way demand more from the providers to actually kind of say, look, this is an important issue, we need to look into that. Then there's the other issue, which is like, who are you going to actually have this medicine? This medicine, especially when you're coming off opiates, is a very dangerous medicine to engage with. And if it isn't done in a properly medicalised situation, it can cause a lot of problems. So you need to be very careful about who it is that you're seeing. They need to be medically associated and you need to be protected by clear guidelines around that. You need to really... The checks that you need to make on the safety need to be very, very high, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. And people work with people that have got a lot of experience. You know, it's very important with this medicine. So, yeah, I mean, in in the traditional, in traditional circles, this medicine is only offered by people who have been working with it for 10 years plus. So you, you're only then allowed to offer the medicine at that stage. So, you know, medical practitioners in the West that have been working with psychoactive materials and have been doing that with lots of different patients and lots of different Mm -hmm. situations, in a way they have some experience to actually work with this kind of medicine, but still they don't have experience with Ibogaine. So it is a very new field. Mm-hmm. And one should have real reverence for the fact that it is a new field, and that people, there are people that, that have experience, there are a few of them, people like Joseph Barsulia. There's a few of these people that are very experienced and good practitioners, but there's not a lot. And so we need to be clear about that. And in my feeling is that the traditional people and their approach to safety, working with a bogus should be incorporated into our further understanding of these plants because it's not always done it's it's something that 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 is not respected to to, to the level that it should be one doesn't know what the long-term effect of using uh using medicine is unless you've seen it generation after generation so yeah uh, that's an important addition Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you, David. Thank you so much for your your wisdom, your time. This was such a rich, informative conversation and I uh, will definitely be one that I go back and listen to. I feel like there's so much value um, that you brought to the table today. So thank you so much. Um, I hope that we can chat again soon. And I know that next week you're headed to the United States for a conference on world religions. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it's a Parliament of World Religions with George uh, Gasita. He's going to be with me, and we'll, we'll talk about the sort of humanitarian impacts of blessings of the forest. There, very to exciting. Speak. Talk about it there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I'll no, definitely... thank you so much for having me on. And yeah.
0: Oh, my pleasure. It was wonderful. Good luck next week, and hopefully we'll chat again in the future. Thank you, David.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Ibogaine Uncovered. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe on Spotify and Apple, leave a review, or share it with your friends. This podcast is brought to you by Beyond and produced by Eamon Armstrong, mixed by Trevor Coulter, and edited by Ariel Villafane. Beyond is the world's premier network of medically based Ibogaine treatment facilities for addiction, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Beyond's mission is to help people end chemical and behavioral dependency and to end the suicide epidemic with psychotherapeutic treatment and psychedelic plant medicine innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It does not constitute medical advice, and does not necessarily reflect Beyond's views on mental health treatment or personal development. For inquiries and further information, please visit BeyondIbegain.com and make an inquiry using the web form or email beyond at hello at